Hello and welcome to the Green Book Commentaries. I'm Dr. Arthur Plessa. Episode 14, The Phenomena of Life, Part 2. In this episode, we conclude Dr. Kryle's book, The Phenomena of Life. What I find so interesting about his book is that it touches so closely to the chiropractic principle. One would think that Kryle was a chiropractor and not actually a medical doctor. I can see why BJ quoted him and referenced to him extensively in volume 25. So with that in mind, we begin our reading from volume 25, page 116. Since the matrix has no other function to perform, its function is changeless. Its structure is infinitely adapted to the creation of facilitated pathways. But within itself, this plastic and passive matrix on which the special senses have caused to be etched this network of conducting pathways of action furnishes no power whereby it may operate its intricate system. It is in the cells of the gray matter of the brain that the energy required to operate this system is generated. Since the only source of energy of animals is the energy which the animal captured in the form of food from the plant and since the energy held in the plant was captured from solar radiance and from the nitro group in the soil, the energy that operates the brain is fabricating memory, reason, imagination, in expressing the emotions, in fighting and escaping, is not, alike, is not like, but is in fact the identical radiance which is released by dentation detonation in the radiogens of the protoplasm of the brain cells. Since in common with the other cells of the organism, the brain cells are electrochemical radiating mechanisms. Since their function is an energy function, since the structure and the function of the brain depend on electrochemical processes and radiation, then training and education must be purely physical in nature. Our studies of brain tissue, many of which have already been cited, may be summarized as follows. In the normal range of health, there is in the brain within definite limits a constant range of temperature, electric conductivity, electric capacity, and electric potential. Under excitation of the brain, these constants increase. In depressed states of vitality, these constants suffer a decline. At death, these constants reach the level of non-living material. The dynamics of the brain, therefore, seem to parallel the dynamics of the energy process of non-living mechanisms, such as the internal combustion engine, or an electric battery, or the action of the photoelectric cell, as exhibited by the eye. Perhaps enough evidence has been cited to show that the brain is an infinitely delicate energy transformer and receiver, which responds to light waves, to sound waves, and to changes in chemical and physical stimuli, such as taste and smell, touch and pressure. It is this exquisitely sensitive mechanism that is activated by every experience of life from infancy to death. 
It is the specific electric currents that are generated in the brain cells that create the action patterns and ad activate them adaptively. The experiments by Gotch and Horsley, by Ferrier, and by others show that electric stimulation of the motor centers of the cortex of the brain causes the muscles to perform the same work that electricity generated in the brain cells causes the muscles to perform. This is a well-established fact. When an electric current is directed through the brain in such a way as to pass through the fundus of the eye, light is seen. When an electric current is passed through the center of hearing in the brain, sound is heard. These are well-known facts, and the reasons are obvious. Because the protoplasm constituate, constituating the cells of these centers generates electric currents which stimulate muscles and glands. Battery-made electricity is identical with protoplasm-made electricity. The muscle does not know to which electricity it responds. There is no fundamental difference between muscular action, the sucking and breathing mechanism of the infant, the spontaneous running of a newly hatched quail, the closing of the Venus flytrap, and the learning by the child that two and two equal four. It is at once clear that there is within the organism an energy controlling system which is activated by the special senses primarily. Theoretically, this system would consist of the special senses, the brain, the adrenal sympathetic system, and the thyroid gland. This is the system that should be proven to be responsible for extracting the energy from the nitrogen and carbon compounds in the organic molecules of food and converting them into radiant and electric energy which in turn governs the growth, the function, and the activity of the organism. This energy controlling system, like the internal combustion engine, converts the potential energy that packed in the atoms of the organic compounds into the kinetic energy represented by radiation, electricity, and their consequent mental, emotional, muscular, glandular, and growth activities. In other words, the thyroid gland and the adrenal sympathetic complex are the mechanisms that regulate the speed of the animal organism. That is, the thyroid gland and the adrenal sympathetic complex are the chemical mechanisms that, by controlling the rate of oxidation, shift the spectrum to the short wave field. And the short of ionizing waves of the spectrum generate the electricity that operates this muscle, or that muscle this animal or that animal, at this speed or that speed. Therefore, the brain being the, greater, the greatest generator of radiant and electric energy is endangered by the rapidly increased polarization in its infinite number of cells or batteries. In the animal battery, as in the man-made battery, when, as the result of continuous action, the contra-electric current equals the primary current, the electric circuit is inactive and dead. The electric potential within the circuit and within the cells coincidentally falls to zero, and the animal is dead. Such a death is unique in that there is no struggle. There is only a continuous loss of energy until the animal or man stops living as inconspicuously as a battery fades to zero. 
Just as a battery runs down by virtue of polarization and is restored by opening the circuit, so in the case of the billions of brain cells that run down by virtue of polarization as the result of adequate stimulation of the senses. If the stimuli are reduced below the threshold of action, the nerve circuits are opened and depolarization occurs. This is sleep. This charge-up accordingly affects every tissue, every organ of the whole cerebro-spinal-adrenal-sympathetic system. Since the comprehensive nervous system controls all the rest of the body, the organs that governs the amount of the commanding shortwave radiation commands the control of the organism. The inf infinitesimal release of radiant and electric energy in the retina of the eye and in the nerve endings which produce the sense of taste, touch, and smell as by a trigger action mediated by the brain releases vast amounts of muscular energy, moving the animal in this way or that, at this speed or that. The oak requires no thyroid or energy or adrenal gland because it needs only to grow and to maintain its vertical position. The power of command is conferred by the shortwave radiance which, in turn, commands the chemical reactions which build up the nitrogen group whose combustion generates the short wavelength. The process then becomes that of an automatic mechanism. The commanding power of the brain is the result of the power of the short wave radiation which it generates. The short wave radiation is due especially to the combustion of proteins. The combustion of the proteins is facilitated by the thyroid and the adrenal hormones. The adrenal gland is the adrenal gland the adrenal gland brings the adrenal gland menate is a agent that is exceedingly sensitive to physical disturbances and when it is fired there is emitted shortwave radiation and a high temperature and great chemical activity are produced adrenaline behaves in that manner as does thyroxin but the latter is less sensitive. The brain, however, is an organ which requires a continuous stream of organic molecules from various sources to keep the pyre renewed, which is the same way as saying that the brain is forever hungry and is forever being fed. Any theory competent to explain living processes in an animal organism must find a place for the characteristic function of every organ of the organism. Of course, the obvious functions of the heart, lungs, and the blood are not included in this discussion. But there are three organs, excisions of which overwhelmingly depress the organism and cause death, namely the brain, the liver, and the cortex of the adrenal gland. It is well, therefore, to consider the rules of these three organs in an organism, which we assume is operated by electric and radiant energy. The rule of the brain is obvious, but the rule of the liver and the adrenal cortex are enshrouded in mystery. The mystical state of remission and consciousness, called sleep, clearly is related to the operation, or rather to the cessation of operation, of the identical forces that generate and maintain the conscious state. 
The rhythms of sleep and consciousness are as definite as the rhythms of batteries that become polarized and depolarized by the opening and closing of the circuit. The batteries that operate a doorbell depend for depolarization on the resting period of the bell. In an electric battery, the current carries positive ions to the negative pole and negative ions to the positive pole. As such elements are deposited upon the opposite pole, poles, a contra-electric current is generated. The contra-electric current is reinforced by each added ion until finally the contra-electric current arises from the elements deposited by the direct current becomes equal to the direct current, and thus the circuit of the battery is in equilibrium, or death. The battery is polarized. If the circuit is broken before polarization is complete, then the ions being freed from the power of the, of the current of the circuit rebound from the poles and travel back into the solution or to the station from which the current brought them, thus restoring the electric power of the battery. If the period of work, in example, if the passage of electric current is short, as in a single heartbeat, then the degree of polarization is proportionately slight. The slight degree of polarization, which results from a single heartbeat, requires a proportionately short time for depolarization or sleep. In example, the pause in the heart cycle may be regarded as its period of sleep. The heart, which, its which with its nerve mechanism, takes normally from 70 to 90 naps a minute, and thus is kept depolarized or rested as it works. We may suppose that the nerve cells, which operate the respiratory mechanism, become depolarized, or sleep, from 16 to 18 times per minute, and that thus the respiratory mechanism is kept depolarized or rested as it works. It would appear to be more than a mere analogy that such is the mechanism whereby prolonged consciousness, unbroken by sleep, leads to exhaustion and death. The salivary glands, the intestinal nerve muscle mechanism, the digestive glands, etc. We may suppose have alternating periods of work and polarization, and of sleep and depolarization. Regarded superficially, the functions of respiration, of circulation, of digestion, carry on as if they never rested, never slept, but their sum total of short periods of sleep is relatively as long as the total period of sleep of that part of the brain whose work creates consciousness and therefore spends no time than other organs in sleep but sleeps more continuously as for the portion of the brain which governs conscious activity the periods of work and therefore of polarization of the cells that supply the electric power for consciousness for emotion and for muscular action are longer than the periods of work demanded by the heart by the respiratory mechanism or by the digestive mechanism. Thus, the option of evolution apparently has been to run the organism on long shifts or shorter ones. If the changes in the nerve cells seen in fatigue from various kinds of work and from prolonged enforced consciousness are identical in the appearance of these physical changes are restored only during sleep, and if, the, and if these physical changes are restored only during sleep, 
and if the degree of cell change varies with the amount of work done at a stretch without sleep, that is, with the amount of electric energy that has originated in or traversed a given cell, then it would require more time and deeper sleep to restore the electrical balance of the cell after prolonged heavy muscular exertion than after a day of restful quiet. And this is demonstrated by experience. It would appear that the degree of exhaustion equals the time of consciousness multiplied by its, multiplied by its intensity. The only non-living energy mechanisms that have definite rhythms of activity and exhaustion are electric batteries. The locomotive, the internal combustion engine, the windmill, the waterfall, do not exhibit such rhythms. Of man-made machines, only electric mechanisms exhibit natural cycles of activity and rest. As to the mechanism of animals, there are certain phenomena that may be used to test the validity of such a conception of consciousness and sleep. First and foremost, important is the energy, the life force itself, of the rabbit or of man. When a rabbit is kept awake, but given food and drink, and physical and psychic repose, excepting for the minimum required to keep it awake, the rabbit, like every other animal, inevitably dies usually in the fourth or fifth day. The behavior of such a rabbit is paralleled by the behavior of a battery. That is, the rabbit and the battery gradually run down and finally come to a standstill, to equilibrium or death. The death of the rabbit from loss of sleep is unique. Life simply ceases. There is no gasp, no struggle. The mechanism of living has run down and has reached equilibrium. The closest attention is required to note the exact moment of the cessation of consciousness and life. In a sick or an injured rabbit, certain organs are changed more than other organs, yet the life of the other organs ends before they are ready, that is, before they of themselves have reached a state of equilibrium. But in death, from loss of sleep, every organ reaches equilibrium at the same time. Energy has departed. The circuit is dead. Moreover, in death from insomnia, the electric potential, electric capacity, and electric conductivity are all decreased at the same time, and the potential reaches zero. The reason is clear, for the radiant and electric energy created and maintained the electric potential and the electric capacity in the living. <clears throat> Sleep. Depolarization, being a negative phase, cannot be compelled. Consciousness, polarization, being a positive phase, can be compelled, even unto death. Normal man cannot sleep unto death. He can sleep only to restoration, no more. Depression and death follow asphyxia, hemorrhage, excessive cold, protracted insomnia, excessive doses of anesthetics, narcotics, or cyanides. The extent of the depression produced by each of these can be estimated accurately by measurement of the electric potential. Electricity is the energy that drives the organism. The electric potential is an important factor in the distribution of electric energy in protoplasm. The symptoms of excitation, expression, and death are the external manifestation of the changes in the electric potential of the organism. Autopsies show no specific changes 
and the, patholo and the pathologist in reality does little more than to say that the patient is dead. That is, he gives no information whatever as to the mechanism that has led to the changes in the protoplasm of the cells that are seen at death. The protoplasmic changes seen under the microscope are analogous to the condition of the body as a whole after death. The microsco microscopic picture is that of a change in architecture, but it gives no information as to the forces that caused the change. The important thing for us to know is the nature of the physical forces and the physical conditions which underlie the changes that are observed by the pathologist after death. It is of very little use for anyone to say a patient is dead, and it is not of much use, not much more use for the pathologist to say that the cells are dead. It would be a very great help to us, however, if we are able to discover the forces that have gone wrong, to discover the forces that have destroyed the cell, and to realize that in the normal man, as in the soldier exhausted by emotion, exertion, injury, and infection, any one of these influences may change electric potential, oxidation and reduction, and the concentration of the electrolytes inside and outside the cells, and also the protein and lepoid molecules within the cell. <clears throat> we shall also interpret, in terms of electric potential, the results of physical injury, infection, stimulants, asphyxia, anesthetics, narcotics, and hemorrhage. In other words, we shall test in the clinic the science of radioelectric pathology. When one considers the total span of life from the moment of fertilization of the ovum until death in old age, it is observed that there is a steady decrease in the rate of production of the radiant and electric energy by which growth and function are accomplished. From the time of birth on through childhood and through adolescence and maturity, the thyroid adrenal sympathetic system is extremely active as may be in illustrated by the fact already noted that the thyroid gland becomes enlarged, especially during adolescence, the period of rapid growth and development. Later in life, in normal individuals, activity is maintained at a lower and more constant level. It is clear that in the second half of life, the electric potential of the elderly patient as a whole or of this or that organ has been very much reduced, and that by so much the margin of safety has been dangerously diminished. From the considerations presented in the foregoing chapters, it becomes apparent that the characteristics which differentiate the classes of animals and plants depend upon the level of energy and upon the manner in which that energy is utilized. The level of energy expenditure, therefore, becomes one of the measures of the level of civilization. In the inaugural phase of muscular exertion, physical injury, emotion, and infection of the severity as such severity as finally to cause depression and possibly death, oxidation, radiation, and electric potential are all increased. Eventually, however, the factors of safety are used up and the stage of depression ensues. Especially in hemorrhage and asphyxia, this primary increase in oxidation, <clears throat> radiant, and electric potential is due to the anaerobic oxidation induced by adrenaline the output of which is increased to meet a biologic emergency. 
In chapter 8, we have presented evidence that electric potential is a true and accurate measure of the power of function and of the maintenance of the living state. The soldier, in exhaustion, was able to see danger but lacked the normal muscular power to escape from it. His temperature must be subnormal, but he lacked the power to create heat. He understood words but lacked the normal power of response. In other words, he was unable to generate radiant and electric energy adaptively despite the fact that his vital organs were anatomically intact. <clears throat> After the operation, vomiting, cold, dehydration occurred. There was little nursing care. The pulse mounted. Respiration, pulse, and temperature increased. The patient was restless. Rails were heard at the base of the lungs little urine was secreted. The pulse became increasingly rapid and feeble. On the second or third day, the patient might die with pneumonia, with suppression of urine, with a failing heart and delirium. Had the soldier been not been in battle, he would have been in vigorous health. What was it that was lost? The common denominator was the result of depression of oxidation depression of radiation, and depression of the electric potential and the dominant organs. Exhaustion may follow emotional as well as physical stress since the expression of the emotions involves an increased activity of the energy system, that is, of the nervous system and of the thyroid adrenal sympathetic complex. All of this results in a depression of the radiant and electric forces that govern the organism. As an analogy, one may consider what would happen to a motor car standing still with its engine running at top speed and the clutch released. The wounded soldier is the victim of exhaustion from intense physical exertion, intense emotion and physical trauma. Since his radiant and electric energy have been diminished, it follows that he lacks the normal power of response to infection. In fact, all of his organs are abnormally predisposed to loss of function, and at death, the body is well started on its way to dissolution, as compared with the body of an equally vigorous soldier who was killed instantly. The underlying factor in the loss of the defense of the tissues and organs against infection is the depression of the electric potential in the tissues and organs. Are there any other organs stimulated by fear, except those that can or do assist in making a defensive struggle? There are none. On the other hand, if an animal could dispense with his bulky digestive organs, the functions of which are suspended by fear, if he could, so to speak, clear his decks for action, it would be to his advantage. Although the versatility of nature selection apparently could devise no means of affording this advantage, it nevertheless, it, nevertheless, it nevertheless did shut off the nervous current and thus conserve the radiant and electric energy which is ordinarily consumed by these non-combatants in the performance of their functions. In accordance with this conception, worry is interrupted Worry is interrupted stimulation. Worry is a state of alteration between hope and fear. It is an alter, alternating stimulation and depression of oxidation, radiation, 
and electric potential. It is a slow fading out of the molecular furnaces or radiogens within protoplasm. As has already been stated, a cell can function only when under a certain electrical strain and this electrical strain is constantly being regenerated by the radiant energy produced by oxidation. In other words, oxidation, radiation, and electric potential go hand in hand. Whatever interferes with oxidation interferes with radiation and its consequent electric potential. It is impossible to interfere with the electric potential and not the oxidation and radiation because in the protoplasm oxidation, radiation and electric potential are tied together as a coordinated physical process. Thus, each of these factors that affects the soldier disturbs oxidation and radiation and therefore alters the electric potential of every cell of his body. And if oxidation, radiation, and electric potential are altered, the cell cannot maintain even its own structure. When a patient is too cold, the activity of the protoplasm of every cell of his body is decreased 10% for each degree centigrade of loss of body temperature. When a patient has a fever for each degree centigrade of rise in temperature, there is a rise of 10% in the activity of every cell of the body. When an individual is subjected to physical injury, to exertion, to infection, to emotion, all his protoplasm is affected. For many years we have been investigating the nature of anesthesia, have been in endeavoring to determine with what mechanism the anesthetic interferes, to find out why under apparently the same degree of anesthesia one parent will die and another survive. In our earlier researches, we thought we had found the answer when we discovered that certain changes in the brain cells, in the liver, and in the adrenals always followed prolonged inhalation anesthesia. Later we found that the temperature of the brain decreased steadily during ether anesthesia, indicating that the oxidation and electric conductivity of the brain were decreased. We found also that the electric potential of the brain decreased in anesthesia. It is not only the potential of the brain that is lowered by inhalation anesthesia, but also the potential of every organ and tissue. And as has been stated, when the potential of any organ or tissue reaches the zero point, that organ or tissue is dead. That is, the general anesthetic effects not only the brain, but every organ and tissue of the body, reducing its electric potential and abolishing the vital shortwave radiations. What then is an anesthetic? It is an agent that is capable of interfering with the genesis of bioelectric currents and the shortwave radiation required for normal activity. A local anesthetic interferes with the shortwave radiation in the part into which it is injected. Spinal anesthesia and splanchnic anesthesia interfere with the shortwave radiation from the affected nerves, which means their power of generating and transmitting nerve impulses to the respective or organs and tissues. Narcotics and poisons also affect every organ and tissue, reducing the potential and electric conductivity usually within the safe limits when the agent is a narcotic but to zero, the death point when the agent is a poison. 
The same is true of stimulants insofar as the effect upon the whole organism is concerned. But the first effect of a stimulant is to increase the sustainability of the cells of the brain, to increase electric potential, electric capacity, and electric conductivity, to increase the percentage of radiation in the short wave field, thus increasing the radiant and electric energy of the whole body. This increased energy, however, is followed by depression, which is marked by decreased electric conductivity, potential, and capacity, and decreased differential stainability of the brain cells. The amount of the resultant decrease bearing a direct relation to the degree of the primary increase in electric and radiant energy. That is, stimulation is followed by depression. Or suppose the patient has jaundice and the electric potential of the liver has been reduced to a low level as a result of the back pressure of bile. We have known of the dangers of operating upon the patient with jaundice, but for a long time did not appreciate that the source of the danger was the anesthetic. Ether anesthesia would be given and in some instances the patient never became conscious. Death was attributed to the disease, but what really happened was that the already lowered electric potential of the liver was reduced by the anesthetic and the vital radiations ceased. Long before the potential of the brain was reduced to the danger point, the liver was dead and the brain cannot function without the liver. In an elderly patient, the electric potential of all the organs is reduced and radiations are depressed. In such people, one or another vital organ may have the lowest potential and its function fails first. We say that the patient died of failure of the liver the kidney, or the brain. He really died from the anesthetic. In an old person, the radiations of the brain may be so depressed that even a narcotic is dangerous. An elderly patient may never become conscious after a dose of morphine. That would be entirely safe for a young and healthy subject. Anesthetics and narcotics are safe enough when the process of life are normal. When in the course of an operation there is a hemorrhage, the patient may die, and we may say that the hemorrhage was the cause of death. What really happens is that the hemorrhage so, lower, so lowers the electric potential of the organs and tissues that they cannot bear the further depression due to the anesthetic. It follows that before given a general anesthetic, it is essential to know something regarding the state of the protoplasm of the essential organs. If any of these organs have been affected by the disease, we know that the radiant capacity has been affected, that is, the emission of radiations and the electric potential have been reduced. In such a case, therefore, the use of a general anesthetic is contraindicated. Local or splanchnic or spinal anesthesia should be used. Ether and chloroform should rarely be administered to a bad risk or an aged patient.